Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So this morning we really privileged to have Vian Brown with us, uh, all the way from Secunda. Um, it's really great. Let's give him a, you can give him a hand. <laughs> So Vian was with Werner, we all know Werner, and he came here quite a bit. Um, and then from the beginning of this year, Vian took over from Werner when Werner went to the coast. So Vian is, is, is taking, has taken over in Secunda and is they're really doing an amazing job. He's married to Robin and they've got two beautiful kids. He's actually a helicopter pilot. I've never met a helicopter pilot before. You're my first helicopter pilot. So, and he has a passion for the word and encouraging people to be obedient to the word. Um, he's also been in Inshofar for quite a while. So, Vian, we really receive you as a blessing from God. And yeah, let's just really open up our hearts to what God wants to say. Thank you, Vian. Thank you, Rochelle. She gave me a new mic and said this one's batteries are still fresh and I can continue until they die out. <laughs> so let's see what happens. I'm also not sure, you know, if that celebration, you know, is, because we have a baby hamster. I'm not sure if that counts, but... <laughs> yeah, for a chocolate, I mean, <laughs> I think it counts. Uh, cool, guys. It's really a privilege to be here and uh, to share the Word of God with you. And like Rochelle mentioned there at the end, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting statement, you know, when they say, what do you have a passion for? And you say, P- teaching the Word of God and really encouraging people to obedience. And it's like, but, you know, we many times assume they just go hand in hand, but unfortunately, they don't. You know, and in our context that we live in, a very intellectual context, we like to know stuff. I know how many of us here, whenever you've read a book or someone comes to you, you know, and they want some kind of advice about a certain area of life, and you just, yes, I know the answer. And as you're explaining to them, you're thinking in the back of your mind, I, sh- I should actually also start doing this. Can I see some hands? Yes, we do that. Because we think we are what we know. But that's not true. You are what you eat. Also just a joke. But before I make too many jokes, let me just open for us in prayer and then we dive into today's sermon. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, Father. Thank you that you are here, Lord. And, you know, Father, thank you that you just come, Lord, and turn our hearts to you, Father. I pray, Lord, that every single area of conviction that we experience today, Lord, that we would know that it is not something heavy pressing on us or a God of performance coming and saying, doing better. But it is a loving God inviting us to something better, something more, something lasting. To say, turn away from empty things and fix your eyes on Jesus. What an invitation, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for your example in every single area of life. But you came, Lord. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here ministering, Lord, spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Thank you, Father. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one, Lord, that has heard about you but never truly know you, Lord that they would jump into faith today, Lord, that they would surrender fully, repent of their sins, turn to you, Father, be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our title for this morning is Simple But Selfish. Simple But Selfish. I'm going to continue along the lines of relationships. I've listened to the last couple of sermons. Um, I think it was... Mackie Nordin, speaking about Ephesians 5, two weeks back, and I can't remember who was the lady that spoke last week, but amazing sermon about intimacy with God. Uh, just really wonderful. I just also want to know if, if it's, is this the playing field? Is this the rugby lines? I should stay inside. Okay. I just know that. I mean, I'm going to continue along those lines uh, for us today. And, and the premise of, of what is being said today, simple but selfish, is that the reason why relationships fail, you know, and that's not a kind of a, a maybe if they fail, when we look at the stats about relationships, it is devastating. Marriage, not only marriage, relationships between parents, children, friends, relationships fail quite often. And a good place to start in light of that is to ask the question, why? Why do they fail? I mean, if my car breaks, I take it to the mechanic. He wants to see what broke to fix it. 
It's quite a logical point to start. Why do relationships fail? And relationships do not fail because the concept of relationships is difficult to grasp. I mean, the last two weeks, you, you listen to the sermon, we understand the Word of God, and it's quite simple to grasp. In May month, you guys had a relationship week, marriage enrichment, you know, for those who were there. The concept shared is, again, not a difficult thing to grasp. It's quite simple. Whenever we turn to the Word of God, it's not a difficult thing. Relationships are not left for some elite group of people that are highly intellectual, and because they grasp the concept, it works well. It's not why it fails. It's simple. But the reason why relationships fail is because we are selfish. We are selfish. That is why it fails. Now, in the beginning of the year, me and my wife, we experienced a little bit more tension than normally, a little bit more fights, a little bit more friction. And every single one of those instances, it can boil down to selfishness manifesting in some way. Someone was selfish, unwilling to bend, unwilling to yield, unwilling to serve, unwilling to forgive. It's like... And Joy said that there at the end, you know, that basically sums up the sermon. It's when we allow us to dictate what we want, and we're unwilling to lay down self, things start to fail. So I just want to read us here a definition of selfishness. It says, lacking consideration for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Lacking consideration for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Now, when we take that statement or when we take selfishness and we apply it to the areas of relationship, we can say that selfishness is the antithesis to Christian relationships. It is the exact opposite. It's, it's what we should not do. Like Mackie Nodine came painted that picture from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives and lay down your lives as Christ did for the church. Hus- a wife, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. A willingness selfless service, laying myself down, not my will, but your will be done. I am going to serve you. That is what relationship is about. That is what it boils down to. That is what we should proclaim to the world around us. When they look at us, when they look at a Christian marriage, they should see a little bit of something of Christ and the church. And we're going to speak about three things primarily. We'll see how far we get but three things primarily, how this selfishness manifests. There's a lot of other ways, but three things primarily. The first is intentionality. Now, the funny thing is, also with intentionality can come selfishness. Many times I am intentional because I want something. I think we all can relate to that a little bit. Yes, my life like more even Because I want something. Yes, my money doing so good. Wife wants something. My little boy, when I walk into the room... The youngest one. Hello, Papa. Hello, hello. <laughs> and don't get me wrong now. Your children should be excited when they see you. If they're not, come speak to me at the end. Please. They need to actually like it when you pitch up. But not that much. <laughs> There's something fishy there. He wants something. It's like, yeah, Vianki, Nana. He wants a Nana. And he was a year old when he did that. From a very young age, where that relationship with somebody at work or whatever, very intentional because we want something at the moment. So we need to judge ourselves there. But also, every single time when we are not intentional, specifically when it comes to the relationship with husband and wife, it is selfishness manifesting. Because I don't want something from you, I'm not intentional about you. Selfishness manifesting. I don't want something at the moment, so let's leave that there until we get to that again. Every single time. So we're going to read through a passage of Scripture and then just look at this. Same passage of Scripture that Macanodine went through. I'm just quickly to read through and then we'll sum it up. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And like Max said, that's just Christians in general. That is not specifically for married couples. That is for Christians in general. That is how we relate to one another. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We serve one another. Then it goes on. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submit to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the church just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Challenging passage of Scripture, but also romantic passage of Scripture. And many times we just read over that and we think about our loved ones and we fade away a little bit. We forget to see what the passage actually says. I don't know who of you have noted as you read through this how many verbs there are in that passage of Scripture. It says, submit, lay down, serve, nourish, cherish, respect, love. And it repeats some of those a couple of times. A passage filled with verbs. These are things that we should actually do. Same so with our relationship with God. Faith is a verb. It's something that you should do. If your faith doesn't do, it is dead. It at least has to breathe. And just in light of that, just to also ask ourselves the question and to reflect, when you reflect on this last month, what has your faith done? Interesting question to ask. What has your faith done? Because if it's not doing, it is dead. It's not saying do a lot of stuff so that God can be pleased with you or so that you can inherit the kingdom. No, but if I know the love of Christ, it compels me. I cannot know a loving God that came and laid down his life for me and just remain silent. Not like John and Peter says when they catch them in Acts 4. You remain silent and they say it is impossible for us to remain silent about what we've seen and heard. But we will go. It is impossible. And see, it's action attached to it. Same so with Jesus, with God, the example that he came and set for us. God the Father didn't have a great idea about saving humanity. Jesus didn't think about coming down to earth. God so loved that he sent. And Jesus so loved that he came. Something that actually happened. It wasn't just an idea. Same with our relationship with God. Many times we think our Christianity revolves around what we know about God. Just this group of ideas. But how we move from truly knowing of God to truly knowing God is obedience. When I actually do what that God says, I have to follow to know. It is what happens. And same so with relationships. Relationship is not defined as two people in a room with the same idea. It's not that it works. It is not two people with the same idea. It is two people actively Living out that idea. Actively serving one another in love. Actively laying down their life. You know, the funny thing is when me and my wife, we do some marriage prep or counseling, and we ask people, how would you say your relationship with your husband or wife is going? Now I'd say it goes really well. And then we ask, why? But of a shocked face. How do you mean why? Like, why would you say that? What do you base that upon? Where do you get the idea from? Is it because you haven't fought with one another in a while? I haven't fought with a lot of people. Some of them I don't even know. <laughs> it doesn't mean we have a good relationship. Or do we reflect at how well we're actually living out the purposes of God intended for marriage? Because that is a different question. Different way of looking at it. And you see it all of the time manifesting this relationship between Christ and the church. To again look at that passage in Ephesians 5, 22 to 27. Just look at the lot of similarities that is being drawn here. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. That word as can be translated as like. Paul is giving us a, a parable here. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is of the church. And is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish.
And again there, you know, husbands just to also ask the question. Whenever it comes to these areas of intentionality, grace, and consideration that we will look at, we have to lead as husbands. And you know, we many times know that, yes, I should lead my family, I should lead my wife, but towards where? Towards what? What does it mean to consider? To the area of holiness. That is the goal. So that we might be holy and without blemish. That is what God intended for us. And again, yeah, husbands, wives, we need to ask ourselves the question, do I know what it means in relation to marriage, what it means that Christ laid his life down for the church? Husbands, again, and I know Mackinaw painted a beautiful picture of that. What does it mean to submit to my husband as the church submits to Christ? Because if you don't know, you also have to conclude that you don't know what you're busy with at the moment. We're supposed to live out something, and I'm not quite sure how that looks like. But it's fine, there's grace for that, and we can grow. But hopefully next year when the question is asked, we know the answer. And we actually grew. We actually moved somewhere in our relationship with God. Now singles, in relation to this, what is the best preparation for marriage? And again, like any also said at the end of Mackinodine's sermon, you might not be married in this life, but definitely the next. You will be married someday. What is the best preparation? It is to follow Christ. It is to lay my life, life down for Christ. It is to serve Him with everything in me. Why? Because marriage reflects that. In, if I cannot learn selfless service in relation to a perfect God, I will struggle in relation to a fallen spouse. It will be difficult. If I cannot serve a holy, perfect God, how will I serve a fallen spouse? It will be very, very difficult. We need to learn that day. It's not dating. Dating does not prepare you for marriage. Dating actually teaches us the concept of divorce. Let's date. Let's see if this is going to work out. And when it doesn't suit me anymore, when I don't like this anymore, I'm done. I'm going to go find someone else to see if they complete me, if they fulfill me. Dating teaches the concept of divorce. But more about that later. So we see and we look through this passage and there's this reflection being given. All of it, action points, all of it verbs, all of it stuff that should physically be lived out. You know, if my wife comes and she just says, yes, Malifi, I don't feel like you've been helping me with the kids the last while. It's like that, don't worry, my love, I thought about it. I really thought about it a couple of times. And last night I almost did it. Yo. But I thought about it a lot. So relax. It's not going to work. And there's a passage of Scripture that sums it up quite beautifully for me. It's in Luke 6. Jesus speaking. Verse 46 to 49. And it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, not if, but when, when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And again, in this parable, we sing Jesus telling the story, and he doesn't say, there was a very wise man, and when he heard my very complex words, he comprehended it, and because he understood, he could apply. No. And he doesn't say, unfortunately, there was a less intelligent man, and he heard the words but could not comprehend, and he tried with all of his might to do, but because he did not understand, he couldn't. No. Simple words. The call of a disciple, Jesus speaking about, lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me. Whenever I read something in scripture, I obey. That is simple. It's not difficult. You see, and again, the funny thing is when we look at some of the relationships around us, we always get this idea of a young man building a sandcastle on the beach. And he's digging the moat because he knows that high tide will come. And he knows in his heart that Tomorrow morning when we get to the beach, that house won't be there anymore. And he'll start to build over. But some of us building that house on sand, unaware, and we think tomorrow 
that house will still stand. Not true. We need to actually do. We need to actually apply. And the same thing with what was said this last couple of weeks. Have you done those things in these last two weeks? We actually practically have to live it out. And I have a prayer for us, and I prayed for myself as well. And it might sound strange in the beginning, but I'll explain why. I pray that if our house is not built on the foundation, that the water might come sooner rather than later. Why? Because the last waters that will break against every house is the judgment of Almighty God. And on that day, we can't rebuild. It's finished. It's done. Rather now, rather come show me, Lord, where I've built on shaky ground, that I have time to rebuild. And when that day comes, my house can be built on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. You might say, yes, Lord, why? Do you let tragic things happen to people? And we've seen it when tragedy hits, how many people turn to Christ. And they say, how can a loving God do that? But I say, what a gracious thing for God to come and remove all that we have, that we might see what we have in Christ alone. What a gracious thing. Lord, if I need to comprehend what it is to know God, to know Christ, to serve Him, but stuff is in the way, come and remove those things that I know what it is to serve you. It takes us to the first point. Love might seem to begin spontaneously, but it must be kept alive intentionally. Love might seem to begin spontaneously, but it must be kept alive intentionally. Devotion without discipline does not exist, which soon won't. If I'm devoted to God, if I'm devoted to my husband or my wife, it needs to have discipline attached to it. Otherwise, it soon won't exist. It won't be there. It actively has to follow out. And the reason why I say love might seem to begin spontaneously, I don't know who of you fall intentionally. Is there anyone like that here? No. But what happens in the beginning of a relationship? We fall in love. Not intentionally. Some, someone might have fell unintentionally, and then he tries really hard to get the other person to fall as well. But there's a little bit of a spontaneity to it in the beginning. And if you're looking for a wife, obviously you saw now with Germo, come to Secunda. <laughs> we can maybe hook you up. See if that happens. You can maybe come visit Joburg after you're done, Rochelle says. Did I understand that correctly? <laughs> but it happens spontaneously. Even if in our relationship with God, same is true. We were dead in our sins. A dead person, I don't know if you noticed, can't do much for themselves. But then God out of grace makes us alive together with Christ. Something happens. And if I do not add discipline, intentionality to that relationship, it will fade away. The devotion won't last. And even just for a Christian, you know, and a married Christian at that, supposed to be devoted to God, devoted to his wife, how difficult to have other devotions as well that do not come and compete. I'm not saying don't have them. I'm just saying be very, very aware. You must be very disciplined if you want to add devotions to your life. If God said there should already be two, that is him primarily and your spouse, again with that as well. And the reason why we lack intentionality sometimes is because other stuff just seems to, to come into the picture. Still priority, still time. And I'm more intentional towards these things than I am towards my wife. And if you realize this, repent firstly towards God. Why? Because He says be intentional in your marriage. So you're sinning against Him primarily. Then turn to your wife or your husband and repent towards them as well. I quickly just want a couple of um, areas. There's 12 areas to a holistic relationship, but just to put up six. These are six areas. And just to quickly gauge for yourself, if you have to give yourself a point out of 10 for how intentional you are in these aspects, how are you doing? Friendship-wise, yes. You should be friends. Physical, if you're dating, skip that one. Spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and financial. You might say, yes, I'm not good with finances, but you should at least know what you are doing with what God gave you as a couple and where you are studying that. And by the way, guys, also the physical one, Scripture assumes that it happens often. 
if, if, if we didn't speak about it, it assumes it will happen. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 7, speaking about physical relationships, it says the wife has a right over her husband's body, the husband has a right over her wife's body. Do not deprive one another, but come together regularly, except if you agree that we are not going to, to devote ourselves to a time of prayer. So Scripture says the only time when you should not be physically active is when you agreed not to. Today's world, it happens the other way around. So just, just know that. Got a bit quiet now. <laughs> the second point we are going to look at is grace. So first was intentionality, now grace. Now, just a note, for a Christian not to extend grace and forgiveness is selfish by definition. Why? We read in the book of 1 John 1 verse 9, and it says, If you confess your sins to God, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We read in the book of John 1.14 that the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then again in verse 16, And from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the inevitable outflow of drawing near to Christ is grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That is what I will receive if I draw near to Christ. And I need it. Every single time I draw near. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And for a Christian then to not extend that, that is selfish. We cannot do that. And I want to ask us a question, you know, just in light of this, just in light of the picture that Scripture paints of man, broken human beings in need of constant grace and forgiveness, what does that mean for relationships? What does that mean for relationships? How does that influence our idea of how we do marriage if I know that me and my wife, we are constantly in need of grace and forgiveness? Not maybe, we are. Firstly, it would lead us to extend grace a little bit more frequently. Secondly, to admit our failures more often. When my wife comes to me and she says to me, hey, my love, I think in this area you're failing a little bit, then my first response should be in light of Scripture that that's tend to one the case. I'm a fallen human being. So first, instead of defending myself, and if I lose that fight, I give in and say, yes, okay. Seems like it's true. Might our default be yes? It, it, it makes sense in light of Scripture that I fall short in this area. We will acknowledge it a little bit more easily. Now the question, when do we struggle to give grace? When do we struggle for, to forgive? When is that true of a Christian? When we move out of what space? I want to read us a passage in Hebrews 4, from verse 14 to chapter 5, verse 3. Beautiful passage. It says the following. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin just as he does for those of the people. A passage of Scripture that the modern Christian, in light of how we relate to the world, should read a little bit more often. But in relation to relationships, where do we start? We see here in verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us approach God based upon what Jesus has done, based upon who he is. Let us draw near. Why? See that word, that, it's a purpose statement. This is the reason why. This is the reason God is imploring us to draw near. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The inevitable outflow of drawing near to God. Grace and mercy. Grace, receiving what I do not deserve. Mercy, not receiving what I do deserve. The wrath and judgment of God passes over me. But the forgiveness of God is mine. The righteousness of God is mine. That is what I receive when I draw near to Christ. And it's here where we need to do some introspection because many times we believe that 
Okay, my relationship with my husband or my wife or whoever I'm in a relationship with at the moment, it's not doing that great. But man, my relationship with God is in an excellent place. If you say that, you're lying. Cannot be the case. Directly flows out of that. It's not possible. Specifically when it comes to grace and forgiveness. Because if I do not extend grace and if I do not extend forgiveness towards my wife, I'm walking in disobedience towards God. Because He says forgive. He says have grace. He says lay down your life and serve. Not because what she has done or what she will do, but because of what I've said to you. As simple as that. You see, how is it possible for me to come out of my quiet time in the morning overwhelmed by the grace and the forgiveness of God and then yet not extend that to my wife? How is that possible? How is it possible? The only reason how it's possible is that for some or other reason, me, myself, in my pride, thought that I do not need the grace and forgiveness of God and therefore did not receive and therefore was unable to extend. When pride comes in, and I think that I do not need the grace, the mercy and the forgiveness of God every second of the day. It's the same moment when I forget to extend that to the people around me. And I begin to think to myself, hey, I'm, I'm better than that for you and I expect you to be for me as well. Not the case. I think I bring perfection to you, so I expect you to bring perfection to me. Not the case. Same is true for relationships with fellow believers as well. If you've led the church because of offense, it is you saying that I was perfect and I expected them to be as well. And because they weren't, I went. Not the case. It's not the case. God says, have grace. Forgive. You see, every single command, at least 90% of the commands as Christians that we have in relation to one another is based upon a fallen community. Forgive one another in love. You can imagine the church hearing that for the first time. They're like, hey, nobody has done something to me. And Jesus is like, yes, hold your tea, give one another a week. You'll get there. Just give them time. Just give yourself time. It will be needed. Bear with one another in love. Stir one another to love and good works. Why? Because there will be a tendency to be passive and to not grow in love. That's why I say stir. That's why I say encourage. Disciple one another. Why? Because you are immature. <laughs> Disciple. It's based upon a fallen community. We are not perfect and we cannot expect other people to be. But what I can expect is for me to forgive. And know that when I heard that forgiveness will be extended as well. As simple as that. And again, yeah, guys, here we have to lead. Husbands, men in the relationship, you have to lead here. And what I mean by leading here is by turning to the source of grace and forgiveness in time of need. See, where do you turn to when troubles hit? When the relationship becomes a little bit shaky? Mother-in-law, father, friends. Where do you turn? Scripture says turn to God. Turn together to God. And whenever a fight begins and you tell your husband or your wife, okay, let's just quickly pray about this. The one who's unwilling to pray is the one who's wrong, by the way. You can know that as well. Because if we call on a father who judges impartially, and I know that I'm in the wrong, then I don't want to go. Don't think it's necessary, my leafy. <laughs> so how does this look practically? Read it again, Hebrews 5, verse 2 to 3. He can deal gently, speaking about the high priest, temptation to pride. I'm the high priest of the people, you know, I commune with God. I'm the only one that can enter into the presence of God once here. Man, man, I must be something special. And then God says, I just so by the way, before you go and offer the sin offering for the people, won't you do yours first? Because if you don't, you will die. If you don't, you will die when you enter into my presence. Fearful thing. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Why? Since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Now, we don't have to go and kill something. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. But how I do that is by drawing near to Jesus every single morning, saying, Lord, forgive. Lord, have grace. Lord, have mercy. Because I know who I am. I know the thoughts I think, the things I do. 
and how easily selfishness manifests in my heart. Lord, won't you have grace? And the moment I forget to extend grace and forgiveness is the moment I forgot that I, myself, are beset with weakness as well. That takes us to the second point. When grace flows in, grace will flow out. When grace flows in, grace will flow out. It's inevitable. It will flow out. And to ask us this morning, how are you doing with your intake of grace? When last did you go before God and just emptied yourself and say, Lord, have grace, have mercy, forgive. You see, Martin Luther, when he nailed the 99 Theses to the church door, or wherever he nailed it, some people say he didn't, he didn't put it there, but nonetheless, the first point on that was the whole of the Christian life is repentance. The whole of the Christian life is repentance. To repent before God. We should do it often. And another area of you wondering, now you think you, you're doing well with the intake of grace, how are you doing with extending grace and forgiveness? Because if that is not going well, then the intake is blocked. That is not happening. We need to be aware of that. Okay, quickly the last one, and then we'll end off. The last one, consideration. Consideration, and again the definition, lacking consideration for other people. That is the definition of selfishness. And God calls us to consider one another frequently. And in the beginning of the relationship, this consideration is then sometimes to an unhealthy extent. The Afrikaans has a word for it, meisnester. I don't know if the English has a word for that. But I don't think it's mouse nests. I know it's not mouse nests. Meisnester. You are so overwhelmed by the thought of this guy or this girl that you can think of nothing else. Man, oh man, how beautiful they are. And you're just overwhelmed with that. And somewhere along the line, because of discipline not being added, the consideration fades out of the picture. Selfishness creeps in. Maybe you've heard this, hopefully not too often. Maybe you've said this. But my love, this last couple of weeks or months or whatever the case might be, I don't feel that you have considered me. I don't feel that you've considered me. I don't feel that you've considered how I feel about things, how I, how, I, how I want things to look when it comes to the kids, whatever the case might be. But I don't feel that you've considered me. The Afrikaners, they, husband, unfortunately, hears this thing a lot when the wife came. What did you think? Short answer, I didn't think, I didn't consider. That is why I did. And that is why you are mad. And rightly so. And there's again a beautiful picture of this that Jesus embodies for us. Being the role of the husband, husbands like Jesus, do this. And then Paul calls the church to follow husbands as the church submits to Christ, you also. Again, for both of us. We read here in Philippians 2, from verse 3 to 5. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of of others, having this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ. And again, just to put this into context, where does it start? In verse 1, Paul makes the following statement. He says, so if there is, if being a conditional statement, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now we know those things are in Christ, but what Paul is saying, and we know he's writing to the church, but he just wants to make sure. If there is, if you haven't experienced the encouragement of Christ and the comfort of love, in other words, if you are not saved, if you do not know the love of God, you can stop reading because it won't make sense. You won't be able to apply. You first need to experience this. And again, to ask that question for us this morning, do you know the encouragement in Christ? What have you read about it? Have you experienced the encouragement that is in Christ? Have you experienced the comfort from love? And the participation in the Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit. Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also with one another. That strange feeling that you can go anywhere in the world, and when you enter a Christian's house, you are at home. Have you experienced that? Whether you are introvert or not, don't allow some social profile to dictate your identity and how you operate amongst people, but allow the Word of God to tell you whether you're introvert or not, you are at home. So go make yourself a coffee without asking. You are at home. Speak to strangers. Come on. 
We need that. And Paul is saying here, we need to know this. And again, verse 5, having this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you don't have this mind. You won't know what Paul is speaking about here. And again, for the singles, and we've seen this many times, you know, girl or a guy, they go and marry someone because they think they're going to come to salvation eventually. They're not knowing God at the moment. But I pray that one day you will. You know, if you are busy doing that at the moment, you also have to contemplate your own salvation. Scripture says in 1 John 3, whoever makes a practice of sin has not been born of God and doesn't know God, neither has he seen God. What is pursuing a relationship with an unbeliever? That is a practice of sin. In light of that, consider who you love most. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And a lot of people walking down that road and eventually they say, hey, no, they never came to salvation. Man, I can't stay in this marriage any longer. It's just unbearable. What's your advice? Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Because you sow disobedience, you are reaping the fruit of it. But you are not allowed to leave. You are not allowed to leave. I know challenging words except on the basis of sexual immorality, but even then, God commands us, better to stay. But do not be deceived. You have to have this mind in Christ. Singles, do not make that mistake. Treasure Christ above all. This life is short. And even if you have to wait, you will be married one day. Even if it is to Christ himself. Beautiful. But do not allow silly things to distract you from what God has called you to. So make sure of that, that this is true of us. And then it goes to say, if you have experienced this, and if you are in Christ, and then if you have this mind, then, Philippians 2, 3 to 4, do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. You will be unable to do this if you're not in Christ. You'll be filled with Selfish ambitions, looking to yourself. Like the book of James says in chapter 3, that is not godly. It's not heavenly wisdom. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Selfish ambition and conceit. And I know, you know, any loves the languages, so I thought I'll throw a little bit of Greek in here for you as well. So that word nothing in the Greek, the base word, it means nothing. Impressive. It really means nothing. And I don't know if you know yourself like I know myself, and in light of selfishness, that is quite a statement. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit. Nothing, Lord. What if I'm on vacation? What if they're not there? Nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit. It is unspiritual. It is earthly, demonic. Selfish ambitions or conceit. And where that is present, Scripture says, then again in James 3, from verse 16 and 17, there will be disorder. Is your relationship characterized by disorder? Why? Selfishness manifesting. That is why there's disorder. And again here, hopefully the interest that the Scripture speaks about, but also the interest of others, hopefully here your interests align. Again, hopefully the person is saved. Hopefully they are in Christ. Do you know how foreign it is for someone who is not saved if you tell them, hey, we're going to sell everything we have and we're going to be missionaries? I don't know about you, but I don't think that card's going to fly. And just as I was driving here this morning, you know, seeing people there playing sport, this people, in Joburg, the people just run always, huh? <laughs> running cycle, there's always a running or cycling event going on. Like, they never stop, huh? They are relentless. They truly are relentless. I don't run. Why? Because I want to be like Christ. And we never read, and Jesus jogged to Galilee. No. (laughs) He always walked. He always walked. So just remember that before you cast judgment on other people. Jesus always walked. He never ran, never cycled. And if we really want to be quick, we can ride a donkey, but that's... That's about how far it goes. And guys, here again, we need to reflect. 
Scripture says constantly consider one another. Same so with God. I need to be constantly consider the things of Christ. Wherever I am, how can I be pleasing unto God? I'm constantly considering God. Lord, where are you leading? Where are you going? I remember one mission trip in 2017. We got up and I told the guys, hey, I'm not going to be a policeman. You do your quiet time. I'm not going to tell you when and, and you must do it in this hour. Please take responsibility for your relationship. Next morning, woke up. Everybody's busy. There is someone's reading. Here, someone's praying. First team meeting. And I told the guys, hey, do you have a little bit of more of a sense of urgency, dependency? Constantly praying and asking God, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? Where is it that you're leading me? What is it that you're showing me? What is it that you're preparing me for in Scripture? Because we're on mission. Everybody said, yes, we all have that feeling. And I told them, the day you come to church without that feeling is the day you only came to get and not to give. If you came without that feeling, you're not considering the things of God because, Lord, I want to receive someone's gift, but I'm unwilling to bring my own. Sometimes not intentionally, but inevitably that is what we do. But when we have that constant consideration, Lord, what are you leading me to do? Where are you sh- what are you showing me? Who are you pointing me to? We need to have that. And also in our relationships. But we like to do it sometimes, date night. Man, there'll be a day in the week where I consider my wife. And I really think about her. We'll go eat what she likes. Because this day I consider her. Translated into our relationship with God, Sundays. Morning or night, I'll dress a certain way, speak a certain way, think a certain way. But for that day... I will consider Christ. Or at least a couple of hours. But man to do it the whole day or a whole week, that is rough. That is what God expects of us. And then there's special days. Valentine's Day, birthdays. Again, Christianity, Passover, Christmas. That's the same. It says that traditional Afrikaans Christian goes to church four times a year. Three of them are on Passover weekend. Because this is a special day now. We need to really consider the things of Christ. But we need to constantly consider. That takes us to the last point. Out of our relationship with God flows a constant consideration for our spouse. Or flows a heart of consideration for our spouse. And again, we might think sometimes, you know, it's like with the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know. Let me rather not ask us to raise hands. But it seems like the fruit of the Spirit fluctuates in my life. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I can't just place my, my hand upon it. But every single vacation, I'm just filled with joy and peace. Man, I bear fruit. But then at work, it seems to go away. Why? It's not fruit, it's just the circumstance. You see, the fruit of the Spirit manifests best in the opposite situation. That's when you really know you have fruit. Because fruit is not conditional. Neither does it change in context. It's either there or it's not. Same so with our relationships. Go on honeymoon and I'm like, man, I'm a good husband. My wife's happy. I consider her fully. The wife goes to say, man, my husband is so happy. We're going to do great at this. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when you go on honeymoon, you don't invite other people along. Frowned upon, or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, you there alone. Just you and your wife. There's only one person to consider. And that is your husband. That is your wife. And we think we do well. The moment we come back, boom, job's there. Now there's a different area to consider more than I do my wife. Opportunity for selfishness. Family member comes to visit. So here's a, a good check. If there's a specific family member that always comes to visit, and when they do, there's a bit of disturbance in the house, it's because you consider them more than you do your husband or your wife. Selfishness manifesting, therefore there's disorder. Easy to see, again, simple concept, but more difficult to do, but a simple concept. Children comes along. Man, now there are more people to consider, and also a great opportunity to do less. So that your wife can do more. Because obviously my job is more important. I mean. We get all of these funny ideas. But every opportunity comes along. Great opportunity to consider something else. And scripture makes it clear. We consider God first. Wife second. Then children. Then work. Children never comes first. The best thing you can do for them is love. Their dad or their mom. To the fullest. So I want us to reflect on this. 
And I'm going to ask us to stand and we'll pray in just a moment. Or you can stand so long and we'll pray. And I want us to reflect on these things and maybe think about the areas of your relationship where you lack intentionality. And again, simple. There needs to just be a step of obedience. Whenever it comes to the things of God, when we've drifted away, when we've messed up, it's really as simple as return and repent. That is it. You don't need to do a mighty work for God to show Him that you're better now. But if God has laid anything on your heart, and when you have seen anything in your relationship, area that you lack intentionality, area that you lack grace, area that you lack consideration, there we are, repent firstly towards God. And tell Him, Lord, you have commanded me to do this. And in light of that, I failed. I repent, Lord, and I return to you. And then afterwards, turn to your husband, turn to your wife. It's not easy, but difficult. But repent. Tell them, hey, I'm sorry. Do it often. And then also, if you have the boldness, ask them, hey, husband, hey, wife, in light of today's sermon, speak to me. Where do you feel I lack intentionality? Where do you feel I lack consideration? Where do you feel I don't have grace? And be honest with one another. And don't justify. Try not to do that. The problem with justification is we think we're something that we're not. We think we're doing something that we're not. Just receive it. In light of Scripture, 10 to 1 is the case. We do fall short. And repent to God and repent to one another. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Lord. Thank you that we can lift up your name, Father. And thank you, Lord, that every single area, Father, that you command us to obey, Father, you not only written it perfectly, Lord, but you come and illustrate it perfectly. For Jesus, you were intentional and you came. You are the source of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And now you are constantly considering your church, Lord. Jesus, at the moment, praying for you, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. In the light of relationships, what do you think Jesus is praying for you about? Yes, Lord, I pray, Father, that you will come and show and come and convict, Lord. The areas of our lives, Father, relationships are simple. And yes, sometimes we have a wrong idea and sometimes we have no idea. But when we turn to Scripture, it's, it's easy to see. And we pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, Father, and that you would show us this morning, Holy Spirit, where we are not intentional, where we lack grace, and when we lack consideration, Father. Firstly, in light of you, Lord. Secondly, in light of our husband or wife. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.